guys, and welcome back to another episode of That's My Personal Business. I am so excited to have you here. And if you're watching video, our little Cora girl is sitting here behind me and she looks she looks so squinty and tired as if she is not the most hyper dog ever who has just been a psycho today, even though she went to the park for an extended amount of time. So just living the oh if you're just listening to the podcast, I would highly suggest going over to YouTube just to see this clip of Cora with her little blep out. I'm dying. My dog just did the cutest, weirdest thing behind me. Anywho, I'm going to actually try to do a real podcast episode without just staring at Cora in the background of this because it's so cute. I'm going to just hold her paw. Nope, she said no. All right. Anywho, back to back to real life, back to the podcast. How are you guys? Can you believe it is November? Did you guys miss me saying at the beginning that at the beginning of every single podcast episode? I clearly have no concept of time. I'm just happy to be here. I cannot believe we're about to start 2023. 2023. I have a really good feeling about 2023. Um, I feel like it is going to be the first year that my life just feels chill. I say that now. Knock on wood. I'm sure it'll be one of those things where I'm like, oh, wow, how did so much stuff happen? But I feel like it's like the first year where I'm like, wow, I'm not getting used to living in a new place. I'm not moving around like I'm staying here in my apartment. I extended my lease. I know I'm going to be here in New York. I want to take some trips, but it's not like I have travel on the calendar for work. It feels like at least logistically, I like know how the year is going to go in a way that just feels really exciting and nice. And so I'm really excited to just like become more me this year, to reset, to find a really beautiful balance between life and business even further. Um, Feels like I'm, you know, I'm entering the last couple years of my 20s too. And so just really like soaking that up is really important to me right now. I can't believe that's the case. It feels like I was in college two seconds ago, you know, the three semesters that I went, but I don't know. I'm feeling really excited about this year. I'm excited to set goals. Obviously, we'll have a podcast episode next next month in December to kind of like talk about actually prepping for the new year. But right now, I'm just trying to soak up the last last month or two that I have of 2022 and appreciate this year for what it was and all the growth that's come with it. Um, and I'm really excited because for the last year and a half, I've been playing with this idea of a retreat that I wanted to hold, but obviously COVID put a stunt in that anyway. Um, and I feel like by the time COVID retreated enough that like that could be a possibility, I just was really scared. Um, I love the community that we have built here in my little sphere and corner of the internet. And I just would love to be able to have that be in person and to get to exchange energy in a new way and be there for each other in a different way. Um, but it's also scary. I haven't hosted an in-person event since like 2017, 18. I don't even remember. It was back when I was doing photography full time and it was photo based. I've never hosted one that wasn't photo based. And so it's kind of just been one of those things that even though I've been dying to do it, I've kind of just been putting it on the back burner and I finally just feel like it's time and I feel like 2023 is going to be this very expansive year for me personally and I feel like 2022 has been this year of so much expansion and alignment and scaling and I just have been able to help so many creatives do the same thing in their personal life and their business and so I'm just feeling very called to bring that into an in-person format where we can like physically help each other and like exchange energy and grow and create together. And so I'm so excited to announce the Becoming Retreat in January. Um, it is so important to me that this takes place in January so that the six, the like eight to 10 attendees 
can set off their 2023 as beautifully and aligned and planned out and automated as possible. And one of the things that was really important to me was one, that it took place in January to kick off the year because I I went to a retreat in January once and I feel like it was the perfect start to my year and like the perfect way to kick off a new year, especially during slow season. Um, And so I knew it needed to take place in January. And then the second thing that was really important to me is that one, it was multiple days and that two, it wasn't just a work retreat and it wasn't just a personal retreat. And so what I'm really excited about is not only are you going to get this community, this network, um, it's going to be application based because I want to make sure that everyone is aligned and not only aligned with me, but aligned with each other and ready to align with themselves so that we can have a really beautiful community so that you can also build a beautiful network of entrepreneurs who are viewing their business and their life in the same way that you are and who are ready to build a business that is so beautiful that supports their dream life and that they're not there just for one thing or the other. They're not just there for money. They're not just there for the business. They're also there for themselves. Um, So it's going to be application based, but it's also going to be multiple days that are separated by personal branding and alignment and then strategy and systems on other days. And so one of the things that's really important to me is that we have a full day where we are just getting our mindset and our goals and our brand and our messaging and our alignment in check. Um, And then we're going into strategy and systems so that you can start out the new year completely aligned and fulfilled with this vision of what you want the business to be and what would fulfill you and your life and then a step-by-step game plan on how to execute that throughout the year so that you can start earning more money while working less and you can start producing work that you're proud of and you can start connecting with your dream clients and I'm just so excited and honored and just like can already picture the amazing creatives that we're going to have in this space. Um, Lodging and food is included. I want it to be something where you come to New York City and you just come ready to align and we take care of the rest for you. Um, So lodging and activities and food, everything is included so that you can just get here and then we, we better your business and your life. So I'm going to link the details as well as the application process for you in the show notes. I would love to have you there if this feels like something you're called to. If if you have been feeling burnt out or overwhelmed or unaligned or scrambly or stressed and you're just ready to not only have a better business but have a better life, you want to be aligned, you want to be fulfilled, you want to feel good in your business while having your business operate better and more efficiently and have a higher ROI than this one is for you. And I fully trust that the people that feel called to it will be there. Um, And if you don't feel called to it, I would love to see you at the next one or in a different program. Um, But I'm a firm believer that the people that are meant to be in these programs end up in it. It's kind of the same thing as the literal becoming programs where like I always tell people on the calls, I'm like, these are not a sales call. Like if these, if this program is not for you, it's not for you. And that's totally fine. And I'm not going to be offended. That's how this workshop is going to be. So if you have any questions um, before filling out an application, as always, please feel free to let me know. But I would love to have you there and for us to start off the 2023 together. 2023 year and just make it the best year of our lives and our businesses yet. So feeling incredibly excited about that. I'm like nervous, but so excited. It just feels like it's finally the right time. And I just feel like I have so much knowledge to give. And so I'm really, really excited for that. So 
today's podcast episode um i'm really really excited about because as you guys know we used to do a book club um we did it a couple times on the podcast we did 101 essays that will change the way you think that was an amazing one it's actually still i think one of our highest downloaded episodes which is really really cool um and today we're not doing a book i didn't prep you guys for this at all i shared this article on my instagram the other day but my friend told me about this article and i had heard about it a few times um and it was so funny he literally told us while we were like out at Brooklyn Mirage dancing um he was like have you ever heard of uses of the erotic and I was like what and he was like no it's just this really beautiful article um about how erotic isn't just a sexual thing erotic is this feeling of power and alignment and I always get reminded of that in settings like this how we're connecting to other human beings in such a beautiful and intimate way even just in a public setting and so I read it the next day when I got home and I'm I'm absolutely obsessed with this article again it's called the uses of the erotic the erotic as power and it's by Audre Lorde who is an incredible incredible person um And I highly recommend reading this yourself. We're going to be going through it, reading it, expanding on points, but I'm going to link it for you guys as well in the show notes so that you can read it yourself. It is really, really powerful. Um, I think if you tend to be a little bit more conservative, the name can throw you off. And so I'm going to ask you to keep an open mind um, because we are talking about the erotic in a really, really different way in a way that's so beautiful. Um, And she talks about a lot of principles that are really important to me as a human and important here to us at Eden Strader. And so I want to just read through it together. It's short. I want to say it's like four or five pages, maybe six pages. Um, but it's really, really beautiful. It's a quick read. And I want us to just kind of unpack every facet because I think there is such important notes and nuggets of wisdom in here that pertain to both us personally as a human and our business, which as we know is the whole premise of this podcast because they're so intertwined. So let's get into it. And I'm just going to read a couple paragraphs at a time and I will let you know when I stop and it is my own thoughts. But Here we go. Um, Uses of the erotic. The erotic is power by Audre Lorde. There are many kinds of power, used and unused, acknowledged or otherwise. The erotic is a resource within each of us that lies in a deeply female and spiritual plane, firmly rooted in the power of our unexpressed or unrecognized feelings. In order to perpetuate itself, every oppression must corrupt or distort those various sources of power within the culture of the oppressed that can provide energy for change. For women, this has meant a suppression of the erotic as a considered source of power and information within our lives. We have been taught to suspect this resource, vilified, abused, and devalued within Western society. On the other hand, the superficially erotic has been encouraged as a sign of female inferiority. On the other hand, women have been made to suffer and feel both contemptible and suspect by virtue of its existence. It is a short step from there to the false belief that only by the suppression of the erotic within our lives and consciousness can women be truly strong, but that strength is illusionary, for it is fashioned within the context of male models of power. And I think this is already just a really powerful statement of like how we think of erotic, right? We think of it as like this really negative sexual thing, like women need to be erotic, but then it's also like we're supposed to be erotic for the view and pleasure of men. 
men in our society, right? It's kind of like the the view and discussion around the male gaze and how women are expected to be these erotic things for men. But if we do it in a way that they didn't approve of or ask for or want, it's a negative thing. And it's just this duality of suppression, um, specifically with women, but, you know, people in general. Um, erotic is a very, like, even just hearing it as we got started, right? I was like, keep an open mind because it's been it's been vilified in a a sense of suppression where it is used by typically men um, for their gain or their pleasure in certain instances. And if it shows up in any other way, it's negative. So as women, we have come to distrust the power which rises from our deepest and non-rational knowledge. Think this is my thought. Think like women who run with wolves. If you haven't read that book, it is an amazing book about just kind of like the untethered femininity within each of us and um, getting getting in touch with that and using that because it's very, very powerful. Um, Cora's little snorts. I don't know if you can hear them, but again, if you're watching the video, she is so funny back here. Um, I'm going to reread that line. But as women, we have come to distrust that power, which rises from our deepest and non-rational knowledge also think internalized misogyny we have been warned against it all our lives by the male world which values this depth of feeling enough to keep women around in order to exercise it in the service of men but which fears the same depth too much to examine the possibilities of it within themselves so women are maintained at a distant slash inferior position to be physically milked much the same as ants maintain colonies of aphids to provide a long giving substance for their masters which I know is a lot, right? And like, you don't have to do all the unpacking, which is internalized misogyny and cultural misogyny right now. We're going to get to a, a easier and like more digestible, quickly digestible series of points. But I do think if you are someone who is female or um, identifies with femininity, recognizing the really beautiful points of femininity that we have learned to vilify or to be used for male expression and male enjoyment like um think you know I don't know if you guys have read the book like women don't own you oh you pretty um but my my dad um he loves he he used to be really conservative when I was growing up he's still Mormon um and he's done a lot of work to rewire that and so one of my favorite things about my dad um is that he reads a lot of books that men specifically conservative men but just conservatives in general would never touch with a 10 foot pole um, as to have his mind opened. Um, and one of my favorite things is I was on a call with him the other day and he was like, I, I read women don't owe you pretty. And I feel like it opened my, my mind so much to how much women are objectified. Like I already knew they were objectified, but I didn't realize how much of feminine behavior is because of the male gaze. And he, he had taken a screenshot of like, I think it was like good morning America or something. And he was like, look at, look at this. (laughs) And he was like, look at the man in the middle in his suit. And he's so professional, whatever we think he looks great surrounded by all of these women in these really, really short dresses. And I didn't even realize how, like, even in such a professional, setting we have sexualized women so much that like they're not even taken seriously or like they're not in their place if they're not dressing this way and in a way where they need to be found attractive by men in order to have value and um my dad is such an amazing example of of listening to alternate opinions in order to have your mind expanded and sometimes we need that reminder even for ourselves as women right or even liberal women like I feel like I identify as so liberal but even just reading 
reading women don't owe you pretty or women who run with the wolves like I was like oh wow there are so many things in my personality and like things that I do just culturally to to appeal to this male gaze and this patriarchal society right like even just think of the concept that like I can go into work let's say a man walks into work in a suit and tie he's brushed his hair back maybe slicked it back that's it. If I walk into work in a suit, no makeup on the same as the man with my hair slicked back, I look lazy. I look frumpy. People aren't going to take me as seriously because I don't look like I got ready. But why do I need to get ready? Why do I need to look attractive in order to have something to contribute to the world in terms of my intelligence? Right. And so I think that this is such a important thing that not just women, but everyone opens their mind to. Right. Like my dad doesn't suffer because of the female gaze. But instead, he benefits from a society from it because he he is a man. Um, and so I think everyone needs to to do this rewiring. So I think this is a really great place to start. Um, so the erotic offers a well of replenishing and proactive force to the women who does not fear its revelation nor succumb to the belief that that sensation is enough. The erotic has often been misnamed by men and used against women. It has been made into the confused, the trivial, the psychotic, the plasticized sensation. For this, we have often turned away from the exploration and consideration of the erotic as a source of power and information, confusing it with its opposite, the pornographic. Again, right? Like taking this concept of femininity and feminine power and turning it into this really this really pornographic thing, right? It's sexualized in a way that it, it it doesn't need to be. But pornography is a direct denial of the power of the erotic for it represents the suppression of true feeling. Pornography emphasizes sensation without feeling. So it's actually the opposite of the erotic. We've just We've named it incorrectly, erotic. The erotic is a measure between the beginnings of our sense of self and the chaos of our strongest feelings. It is an internal sense of satisfaction to which, once we have experienced it, we know we can aspire. For having experienced the fullness of this depth of feeling and recognizing its power and honor and self-respect, we can require no less of ourselves. This is where we get into the good stuff, right? So like on this first page, we have really unpacked the fact that like, a male-driven and patriarchal-driven society has changed the way that we view this feminine power and this feminine voice. And now we're going to talk about what it actually looks like and what it actually means. So that if you have been viewing the erotic as a sexual or pornographic thing, it's not actually that way. And now we're going to get into what that actually means. It is never easy to demand the most from ourselves, from our lives, from our work. To encourage excellence is to go beyond the encouraged mediocrity of our society, is to encourage excellence. But giving into the fear of feeling and working to capacity is a luxury only the unintentional can afford, and the unintentional are those who do not wish to guide their own destinies. Let's keep going. This eternal internal requirement toward excellence, which we can learn from the erotic, must not be misconstrued as demanding the impossible from ourselves nor others. So like, let's let's get clear in the beginning, right? This internal requirement of excellence, which we will learn from the erotic, is not demanding the impossible from ourselves nor others. And that's really, really important when you're making these big shifts on how you view yourself and your power and your feelings is that you don't need to demand excellence or perfection from yourself or others. Such a demand incapacitates everyone in the process. For the erotic is not a question only of what we do. It is a question of how acutely and fully we can feel 
in the doing. So the erotic is a power and how much we can experience while doing things. Once we know the extent to which we are capable of feeling that sense of satisfaction and completion, we can then observe which of our various life endeavors bring us closest to that fullness. I'm going to keep going because I want us to get to the meat before we unpack a little bit more. The aim of each thing which we do is to make our lives and the lives of our children richer and more possible. Everything we we are doing should be to make our lives richer. Within the celebration of the erotic in all our endeavors, my work becomes a conscious decision, a longed for bed, which I enter gracefully and which I rise up empowered. Of course, women who are that empowered, women so powered and are dangerous. So we are taught to separate the erotic demand from our most vital areas of our lives other than sex. Sex is the only place that people want women to be inspired and empowered when it comes to a patriarchal society. And the lack of concern for the erotic roots and satisfactions of our work is felt in our dissatisfaction from so much of what we can do. For instance, how often do we truly love our work even at its most difficult? And what immediately comes to mind when I read this section is just the teaching, right, of how women are supposed to be selfless. Women are the ultimate woman, right? Like whether you grew up, like I personally grew up Mormon. I grew up very, 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 very Christian, kind of the height of Christianity in a lot of ways. Um, But just culturally in general, we haven't really seen a shift in empowered women until the last maybe decade. Um, But like the ultimate sign of the perfect woman is this meek humble, selfless women. And what does selfless mean? It means to forget and forego oneself. AKA the perfect woman is a woman who isn't a woman at all. She's not even a human anymore. She is a vessel for others. And how sad is that? You were not sent here to be a shell for other people. That doesn't mean you can't help other people serve other people, be there for other people, right? We're not, we're not doing that. We're not talking hedonistic narcissism. We are talking about this dangerous discussion that the purpose and perfect woman is one who no longer has a sense of self. And that is, that is horrific when you actually think about it and unpack it that way, um, And so we need to look at the things that we do and the satisfaction and empowerment and love that we have for ourselves and the things that we're doing, even when those things are difficult. The principle, let's, let's keep reading (laughs) here only on page three, the principal horror of any system, which defines the good in terms of profit rather than in terms of human need, or which defines human need to the exclusion of the psychic and emotional components of that need. The principal horror of such a system is that it robs our work of its erotic value, its erotic power, and life appeal and fulfillment. That's what eroticism is, right? It is appealing and fulfilling and empowering, and it should bleed into everything we do not just in the pornographic sense of which it's been pitched to us. Such a system reduces work to a travesty of necessities. Let me read that one more time. Such a system reduces work to a travesty of necessities. When we are not bleeding this eroticism and fulfillment and empowerment into everything that we do, it is 
it is making everything we do just out of necessity. And that is also kind of horrible. A duty by which we earn bread or oblivion for ourselves and those we love. But this is a tantamount to blinding a painter and then telling her to improve her work and to enjoy the act of painting. It is not only next to impossible, it is also profoundly cruel. To not have this empowerment, to not experience the erotic in the things that we do, to not experience pleasure in the things we do is cruel. It's cruel. As women, we need to examine ways in which our world can truly be different. I am speaking here of the necessity for reassessing the quality of all aspects of our lives and of our work and how we move toward and through them. The very word erotic comes from the Greek word eros, the personification of love in all its aspects, born of chaos and personifying the creative power and harmony. It's creative. It's harmonic. When I speak of the erotic, then I speak of an assertion of the life force of women, of that creative energy empowered, the knowledge and use of which we are now claiming our language, our history, our dancing, our loving, our work, our lives. Ooh, God, I love that. There are frequent attempts to equate pornography and eroticism, two diametrically opposed uses of the sexual. Because of these attempts, it has become fashionable to separate the spiritual, psychic, and emotional from the political, to see them as contradictory or anti-ethical. What do you mean a poetic revolutionary, a meditating gun runner? In the same way we have attempted to separate the spiritual um, and the erotic, thereby reducing the spiritual to a world of flattened effect, um, a world of the ascetic, 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 ascetic. I learned this word the other day. Um, it's someone who doesn't care about pleasure at all. A world of the ascetic who aspires to feel nothing, but nothing is farther from the truth. For the ascetic position is one of the highest fear, the gravest immobili- um, immobility. The severe abstinence of the ascetic becomes the ruling obsession. And it is one not of self-discipline, but of self-abnegation. To not experience pleasure is to hate oneself. Again, let's go back to it. It's cruel. The dichotomy between the spiritual and the political is also false, resulting from an incomplete attention to our erotic knowledge. For the bridge which connects them is formed by the erotic, the sensual, those physical, emotional, and psychic expressions of what is deepest and strongest and richest within each of us being shared. The passions of love and its deepest meaning. The erotic is its love, its expression, its fulfillment. Beyond the superficial, superficial, the considered phrase, it feels right to me, acknowledges the strength of the erotic into true knowledge. For what that means is the first and most powerful guiding light towards any understanding, that gut feeling. An understanding is a handmaiden which can only wait upon or clarify that knowledge deeply born the erotic is the nurturer or the nursemaid of all of our deepest knowledge that intuition the erotic functions for me in several ways and the first is in providing the power which comes from sharing deeply any pursuit with another person i love that any experience with another person um is that love and is that erotic the sharing of joy whether physical emotional psychic or intellectual forms a bridge between the shares which can be the basis for understanding much what is not shared between them and lessens the threat of their difference right like i love that when you're at a concert and you are experiencing such a beautiful event with so many people who are just strangers and who you share nothing with that is the erotic that is the feeling that is that connection that comes from such a deep knowing (laughs) 
Another way, um, another important way in which the erotic connection functions is the open and fearless underlying of my capacity for joy and the way my body stretches to music and opens into response, hearkening to its deepest rhythms. So every level upon which I sense also opens to the erotically satisfying experience, whether it is dancing, building a bookcase, writing a poem. That self-connection shared is a measure of the joy which I which know myself to be capable of feeling, a reminder of my capacity for feeling. This is something I really, really love is once you become aware of what this erotic fulfilling feeling is within your life, it's it's easier to pursue it in really small endeavors because you know you're capable of feeling like that. And I think that's really beautiful. Like once I was able to start pinpointing things like that, I was able to start looking for that feeling in really, really small instances. Like you guys have openly heard me talk about like, I love light. I look at how light hits things all of the time. And it's something that like brings me a lot of joy. And so like this past weekend, for example, I I had to go help a friend with an emergency and it was kind of a hard weekend. And so I was just like looking for like little little pinpoints of joy that I could find in little areas. And light was one of them because that's that's always there. And so I was able to look at light and look at the way that it was hitting things and the way that it was like telling the story of our day in a way that could bring me that feeling of like fulfillment, even in a really hard situation. Um Okay, so let's keep going. And that deep and irreplaceable knowledge of our capacity for joy comes to demand from all of my life that it be lived within the knowledge that such satisfaction is possible and does not have to be called marriage nor God nor an afterlife. Ah, that is so, let me just read that paragraph again from the top. That self-connection shared is a measure of the joy which I know myself to be capable of feeling, a reminder of my capacity for feeling, and that deep and irreplaceable knowledge of our capacity from joy comes to demand from all of my life that it be lived within the knowledge that such satisfaction is possible and does not have to be called marriage nor God nor an afterlife. So beautiful that like that feeling does not have to exist within these stereotypical cultural phenomenons that are marriage god or an afterlife they can be felt now they can be felt in connection they can be felt in little things this is one real this is one reason why the erotic is so feared and so often relegated to the bedroom alone when it is recognized at all for once we begin to feel deeply all the aspects of our lives we begin to demand from ourselves and from our life pursuits that the one feeling in accordance with that joy which we know ourselves to be capable of our erotic knowledge empowers us becomes a lens from which we scrutinize all aspects of our existence forcing us to evaluate those aspects honestly in terms of their relative meaning within our lives and this is a grave responsibility projected from within each of us not to settle for the convenient the shoddy the conventionally expected nor the merely safe Ah! so good this realization of what the erotic is, what fulfillment is, what empowerment is, what joy is, what happiness is, it's terrifying because we, once we recognize it, once we acknowledge that it exists and it can exist from ourselves and not necessarily situations that are given to us or placed on us, it is going to change the way that we view our life and the way that we approach it and the fact that we are no longer going to settle for less than it. And that's that's terrifying that's where that 
inspiration and that motivation comes to not settle for mediocrity, even if mediocrity is what is being placed upon you and expected of you, right? Like I have talked to you guys about a ton how like I stayed in situations longer than I should have because it was the right thing to do. And the only time I was realizing that I could feel differently was when I was traveling for work and being on my own and being like, I feel so much more me and fulfilled in these situations. And now that I know I'm capable of them, I have to get out of these other ones. During World War II, we bought sealed plastic packets of white uncolored margarine with a tiny Intense pellet of yellow coloring perched like a topaz inside of the clear skin of the bag. We would leave the margarine out for a while to soften, soften, well, and then we would pinch the little pellet to break it inside of the bag, releasing the yellow richness into the soft, pale mass of margarine. Then carefully between our fingers, we would knead it gently back and forth over and over until the color had spread throughout the whole pound bag of margarine, thoroughly coloring it. I find the erotic such a kernel within myself. When released from its intense and constrained pellet, it flows through and colors my life with the kind of energy that heightens and sensitizes and strengthens all my experience. We have been raised to fear the yes within ourselves, our deepest cravings, but once recognized those which do not enhance, our future loses... There are typos in this because it is someone's like transcript of her speech but um so you kind of have to eh. um those which do not enhance our future lose their power and can be altered the fear of our desires keeps them suspect and indiscriminately powerful for to a suppress any truth is to give it strength beyond endurance the fear that we cannot grow beyond whatever distortions we may find within ourselves keeps us docile and loyal and obedient externally defined and leads us to accept many facets of our oppression as women when we live outside ourselves remember what we talked about in the beginning with selfless and by that i mean on an external directives only rather than from our internal knowledge and needs when we live away from those erotic guides within ourselves then our lives are limited by external and alien forms and we conform to the needs of a structure that is not based on human needs let alone an individuals but when we begin to live from an within outward in touch with the power of the erotic within ourselves and allowing that power to inform and illuminate our actions upon the world around us then we begin to be responsible to ourselves in the deepest sense for as we begin to recognize our deepest feelings we begin to give up of necessity being satisfied with suffering and self-negation and with the numbness which so often feels like their only alternative in our society our acts against oppression become integral with self motivated and empowered from within in touch with the erotic i become less willing to accept powerlessness or those other supplied states of being which are not native to me such as resignation despair self-effacement um, depression or self-denial and yes there is a hierarchy there is a difference between painting a back fence and writing a poem but only one of qual quantity and there is for me no difference between writing a good poem and moving into the sunlight against the body of a woman I love ah that line there is no difference between writing a good poem and moving into sunlight against the body of a woman I love I love that line because again I think the juxtaposition of being like hey this is how you viewed the erotic is is this intimacy with someone that you love but it can also be 
going to a concert and connecting with other people. It can be being in a coffee shop. It can be writing a good poem. It can be letting the sunlight hit your face while you're walking down the street in that, that whiff of fresh air. It can be laying down and stroking your puppy and really being present, right? Like it's fulfillment, it's joy, it's presence. Okay, she says, this brings me to the last consideration of the erotic. To share the power of each other's feelings is different from using each other's feelings as we would use a Kleenex. When we look the other way from our experience, erotic or otherwise, we use rather than share the feelings of those others who participate in the experience with us and use without consent, without the, and use without the consent of used is abuse. In order to be utilized, our erotic feelings must be recognized. The need for sharing deep feeling is a human need. But within the European American tradition, this need is satisfied by certain prescribed erotic comings together. These occasions are almost always characterized by a simultaneous looking away, pretense of calling them something else, whether a religion, a F-mob, violence, or even playing doctor. And this misnaming of the need and the deed give rise to the distortion, which is resulting in pornography and obscenity. The abuse of feeling when we look away from the importance of the erotic in the development and sustenance of our power or when we look away from ourselves as we satisfy our erotic needs in a concert with others we use others as objects of satisfaction rather than share joy in the satisfying rather than make connection with our similarities and our differences to refuse to be conscious of what we are feeling at any time however comfortable they may seem is to deny a large part of the experience and to allow ourselves to be reduced to the pornographic the abused and the absurd the erotic cannot be felt secondhand as a black lemon lesbian feminist i have a particular feeling knowledge and understanding for those sisters with whom i have danced hard played or even fought this deep participation has often been the forerunner for joint concerted actions not possible before this but this erotic exchange is not easily shared by women who continue to operate under an exclusively european american male tradition i know it was not available to me when i was trying to adapt my consciousness to the mode of living in sensation only now I find more and more women identified women brave enough to risk sharing the erotics electrical charge without having to look away and without distorting the enormously powerful and creative nature of that exchange. Recognizing the power of the erotic within our lives can shift the energy to pursue genuine change within our world rather than merely settling for a shift of characters in the same weary drama. For not only do we touch our most profoundly creative source, but we do that which is female and self-affirming in the face of a racist, patriarchal, and anti-erotic society. Scene. I am endlessly obsessed with this article. But I think what's so beautiful about um, this read and this um, speech, I think it was originally a speech given by Audra, um, is that not only does it reshape the way that we view this, this feeling and this term erotic right because it does have such a negative connotation and it has a negative connotation because women are supposed to be small and they are only supposed to have pleasure in serving other people which is why erotic is it's allowed in sexual pornographic situations because women are feeling erotic in a way that serves men again we're speaking in broad stereotypes here I do want to say that as well um this is not a gender thing but we're talking about the power of femininity and masculine um 
So I love that it's it's reframing what that actually is and what it is is its power and it's I think like my favorite word to think of now when I think of erotic is fulfillment and presence because it is taking in the energetic exchange of whatever situation you're finding yourself in and finding fulfillment in it um, and allowing that happiness and pleasure to course through every single thing that you do. And then I also love how she's unpacking like she front one, she's taking away this this quick stereotype um, of what this word means and should mean. But then it's also it's a challenge, right? It's this challenge that, hey, to do this is going to require that you shape and you change your life. And it's going to be very, very uncomfortable because once you realize the amount of fulfillment and joy that you can have in your life, it is hard to look past the things that are keeping you small. It's like I I always describe it as like, I think a good example is that like, since I've came out, I have found it a lot easier to not dress um, or try to appeal to men in a way that I never could make that shift, even as feminist as I was um, pre-coming out. And the more that I've come to terms with the fact that I don't need to impress men, the more power I've found in myself because I've started living for me and dressing for me and expressing for me and learning for me more than even this. There was just this subconscious desire that it had to be so that men valued me or that they found me smart or they found me attractive or they found me this. And there's so many little ways that we do that. And it's even bled into women, right? Where we have this internalized misogyny where we do see a woman, you know, maybe no makeup slicked back and we're like, why didn't she get ready today? That doesn't like, is she going to be able to teach us as well as she should? Because she didn't even get ready. She doesn't even take this seriously. What? That has nothing to do with her intelligence or the fulfillment that we can get from her or the erotic exchange that we can get from her. And so I challenge you to one, go read this article again. It is absolutely fucking amazing. We will link it for you. But to challenge yourself to look at the ways that you view pleasure in your life and as a woman, and even if you do not identify as a woman, but in the ways that you express femininity and yourself, because it is so, so powerful so thank you for being here for this episode you guys i love you i mean it just a reminder that if you feel called to our one-on-one becoming retreat this winter i would love to have you and that's linked for you in the show notes as well i love you lots and i will see you next time